0: quantum mechanics
1: yes we are the quantum mechanics the podcast for the believers the doubters and everyone in between
0: we are indeed um better what to start with uh something that happened after last week's episode so regular listeners to the podcast will know we often talk about jots just one of those things weird weird happenings little things um I seem to be on a bit of a run of them at the moment, because I had another one last week.
1: OK, what happened?
0: So we, we recorded last week's episode, which is really fascinating. If you've not heard it, go back and have a listen. The Ringmakers of Saturn, probably one of the best we've done, I think. I really enjoyed that episode. Anyway, it's a whole episode about Saturn and the rings around Saturn and potential alien involvement in them. So we recorded uh, the next day... I mixed it and I went to pick up my son from school. And as I often do after I've just mixed it, I have a little listen in the car. Make sure it sounds all right. So I was listening to it in the car. I arrived at my son's school. I went to pick him up. First thing I said to him was, how did your day go? And the first thing he said to me was, dad, do you know it rains diamonds on Saturn? Wow. <laughs>
1: That's nuts. Had they been talking about it in school? Or? Yeah,
0: some kids oh. had said that it rains diamonds on Saturn and the whole class didn't quite believe it and they looked it up in school. And I think what, what it means is I think the, the the elements that make up diamonds are liquid and they come down as liquid rain on Saturn at some point. I don't know how they know this, but they seem to know this. I did a bit of a Google when I got home. Um, so, yeah, he, he just laid out this thing and I, I was sitting there going... Did he kind of overhear us talking? But no, he wasn't back at that point. Did we... Was me my wife talking about it in the evening and he's picked up on Saturn? But he says it was just someone at school mentioned it to him. So, I don't know. There is room for manoeuvre. It might be zeitgeisty and he kind of overheard yeah. something. But just another weirdness. Well,
1: a lot of people who do paranormal podcasts and... um You know, other other investigators. I think um, Guy Lyon Playfair said it as well that when you start looking at the paranormal, it looks back at you, and And that is a subtle way of it looking back at you.
0: Really weird, really weird. And I'd say what it always seems to be around that school journey. All of them seem to be around that school journey, which I was thinking was location based. Now I'm thinking, God, is it time based? Is it whatever? But I'm trying not to over analyze it or over. Uh, amplify it let's say in terms of what it means but it was weird it was weird.
1: Yeah yeah that is weird because it's on that journey that you get your uh, synchronicities on that part of the
0: road as well isn't it? Yeah exactly with I've had lots of musical influences but yeah it seems to be very much audio connected actually because I was listening to the mix of the podcast that we've done and you know literally as I turned the engine off you were talking about Saturn and my son says that first thing to me so very strange so
1: after today's podcast what's he going to come out with (laughs) next
0: (laughs) well let me tell you about it because uh this week i want to talk about ghost law so not l-o-r-e oh right but l-a-w ah okay Banged-up ghosts. Banged-up ghosts, yeah, exactly. And this was influenced by a couple of subjects that we previously covered. Uh, last year we did an episode on Harry Houdini and his crusade, I guess you'd call it, um, to call out fraudulent psychics and spiritualists who were really rampant, I guess, in the late 19, 19th century and early 20th century. It was also inspired by a story we covered on an episode uh, about mass hysteria, about the Hammersmith ghost. I don't know if you remember that story. Yes,
1: yeah. Somebody was shot because of a ghost sighting, that's what I remember.
0: Yeah, so it was in 1804. A ghost was said to be stalking the streets of Hammersmith in London. And someone was convicted of killing a man who he thought was the ghost. The court rejected his assertion that because he believed the man was a ghost, he couldn't be held responsible. So he was convicted. I think he was, my, my recollection of it is he was sentenced to death and then on appeal his sentence was reduced, but he was still convicted of manslaughter, I think, in the end. So that got me thinking about whether there are other legal cases that involve the paranormal or paranormal beliefs. Um, and have they been debated or looked at in courts of law? I was also feeling guilty Ben that you've been ploughing through long <laughs> complex books so it's almost <laughs> it's my it, own fault it's my own it, fault it is your own fault but it's almost like uh, either as an act of uh, sympathy or punishment to myself punishment to myself I've been trawling through weighty legal texts right right <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine that probably is uh it is a punishment probably more Um, Well, you went through some
1: pretty long legal texts on our second ever podcast when you were trying to find the origins of Nikki's ghost. I remember.
0: Yeah, there was quite a lot of research involved in that and court cases. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really made that connection, but Mm. yes, that's probably actually in our very first episode we did talk about court cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I've forgotten about that actually in, in that context. Um. So as we've said a few times recently, Ben, it sometimes feels we're getting further away from the truth. Yeah. Or at least a concrete conclusion as to what is going on with the paranormal. So I thought, let's turn to the law for the answer. It's solid, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And then I I did look up... I'm refusing to do any lawyer jokes apart from this one. I really thought the law would have the answer because possession is nine-tenths of the law and this ladies and gentlemen is our last ever episode <laughs> okay, no more
1: that is actually quite good i like that no, no, no more
0: no more so i'm gonna try uh where possible to use quotes from trials or at least uh publicated Uh, publications that have summarised them so it might get a bit wordy in places uh, and there may be a few bits with my bear of little brain I don't understand but I'll give you my interpretation of what I dug out from these legal texts so let's start with witchcraft okay and an intriguing case from the 19th century the case is Addington versus Wilson It took place at the Supreme Court of Indiana in the US on the 27th of May in 1854. And it's a dispute about the last will and testament of a guy who then went on to die called Francis Stephen. Now, his children, or at least most of his children, were left out of Francis Stephen's will and challenged this by claiming he was insane at the time he made the will because of his belief in witchcraft. So it went to court. So this is where I get all legalese on you, and I'm going to read some bits uh, from the trial. It is claimed that the testator, which I believe is the maker in that sense, was insane when he executed the will. It appears that he was an ordinary, prudent, judicious businessman, an average farmer, and that he had acquired property, that he had five children by a wife who was deceased, and with whom he had, for some time before her death, lived unhappily. This bit made me laugh. And at whose death he expressed joy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. yeah. It goes on that a portion of his children left him a while before his decease and before making of his will, owing, as they asserted, to domestic difficulties, and refused to return. To those children he left nothing by his will. He complained of having been very badly treated by some of his daughters and he said he had been as he said he had been by his wife and he expressed the belief that this bad treatment originated in the fact of there being witches. Wow. So he claimed his wife and his daughters were witches.
1: Okay and you might come on to this but i don't th- has there ever been a legal definition of a witch even though all the way through those court trials in the 1600s like has it did a judge ever say this is what a witch
0: is well this is quite interesting and it, and it's a bit of a theme that we'll we'll i'll definitely pull at that thread a little bit right later. right right Okay. yeah but no you you raise a really good point um In short, the testator, so this is the person that made the will, seems to have differed from men in general in these particulars alone, that he believed in witchcraft, believed that his wife and daughters were witches, and they practised their infernal arts upon him. So this is from the trial. (laughs) By our law, a person competent to make a will may entirely disinherit his children if he pleases to do so. Nor can his motives for such an act, where it is done, be called into question. The right is absolute to dispose of one's property over and above the portion required to pay debts and expenses. The hardship of the case, therefore, where children are disinherited, is of no weight further than as a circumstance for the consideration of the jury in connection with the other evidence submitted, tending to show insanity or other medical defects. So, Basically, his kids wanted to get their hands on his cash and they had to prove he was insane. And the route they were choosing for that is his belief in witchcraft and that he believed them to be witches. Right. As to the line of conduct pursued by the wife and daughters towards the testator and that of the testator towards them, the record discloses nothing, and we cannot therefore judge whether that of the former... Was such as to justify the latter in believing they were possessed by evil spirits or not so i guess what that's saying is from a from a, the judge's point of view there's not enough evidence to kind of work out what where what his beliefs were and even if he had them what relevance they had i think is what they're trying to say by this mm-hmm. um Whether that the former was such as to justify the latter in believing that they were possessed by evil spirits or not, nor whether the latter towards his wife and daughter was such as tended to indicate insanity or not. So was his... Yeah, I, I, I reviewed that as he was saying it's pretty hard to judge whether he did feel his children were possessed by evil spirits or not, because we've not got enough evidence. So it's coming from one side, effectively. Mm -hmm. Which is a slightly, I think, swerving the issue, which which is kind of what you were talking about a bit earlier, which I'll come on to. The grounds for his belief were furnished an unsatisfactory basis on which to rest a conclusion. For the tenor of the evidence makes the impression that it was a course of harsh, undutiful treatment of the testator on the part of his disinherited daughters that occasioned his desertion and that he attributed that that conduct to the fact of their being bewitched. In other words, that the testator disinherited his daughters for bad conduct, not on account of their harbouring bad spirits. If the reason he assigned was false, they should have shown it, to destroy the effect the inference drawn from that reason might have with the jury. The case then, so far as this court is at liberty to control its decisions, must turn on a simple question. Is a belief in witchcraft evidence of such insanity as disables a person to make a will?
1: Right, okay, okay. So, this is what this is, this is the sort of the, um, the pivot that the, the court and the judge need to make, I see.
0: Yeah, this is the crux of it. So, the judge then goes on to say something that I just found fascinating and incredibly interesting. He says, or she says, I'm not sure. I I imagine it's a he, back in those days. Um, From the visits of the angels to Lot and others of the patriarchs, without reference to the scenes in the Garden of Eden, down to this time when the spirits, like Poe's stately midnight raven, come gently rapping, rapping at the chamber door of modern mediums, some of whom are eminent persons in the world, pagan, Jewish and Jew Christian, have to a greater or lesser extent believed in spiritual existences, some being good and some being evil, which have maintained a connection with and manifested their powers through human beings. In the case of the witch of Endor to even raising the dead, while scarcely any pretend to be, and no one in fact is able to explain the mystery, to unfold the manner of their operations or lay down the laws governing them. The prevalence of these beliefs, however, and the authority on which it rests are sufficiently extensive and respectable to shield any individual indulging it from the charge, if not of weakness, at least of insanity, simply on account of such beliefs. So he didn't just say yes or no, then? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. But I I think the point that he's making is, we'll come on to it a bit more. Uh, I'll, I'll keep going and then we'll talk about that. There, may, there might be cases where a belief in witchcraft, as well as in Millerism, or the doctrine of, doctrine of predestination, if permitted to constantly to occupy the mind, might have the effect to obscure its perception, destroying its balance in regard to the ordinary transactions of life, make the believer, in short, a monomaniac but the evidence was not such in this case as to make it clear that the the jury should have so returned their verdict. That is fascinating. So he's basically
1: using the, I suppose, the way that you'd put it is it's almost common law belief in the occult, which, if I'm right, he's suggesting goes back as far as the Bible.
0: I think he's making the... uh, an analogy well the way I read it was and I'm assuming this is the judge it doesn't it, it, it just from my reading of the transcripts and the way it's written I'm assuming it is the judge um I think what he's saying is people do believe all kinds of stuff you know what I mean and it's hard to prove otherwise either I uh I don't think he's saying there's a connection between witchcraft and religion, but he's saying it's of an ilk. It's a belief. I see. see. It's a belief that can't be proved. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, and I I, I took from that uh, summary that unless they're saying the father in this case was so obsessed that it was making him insane in that belief, then you can't find him you know you can't then appeal the will on that basis because Mm -hmm. just the fact he holds the belief is not enough to make him insane
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well he he also sounds like quite an enlightened judge for their time as well
0: yeah i thought that um and and also in the summary of the case they do talk about the fact that there were many examples of people being convicted of witchcraft which you alluded to earlier so the again the way i read that was the the Grounds for a belief in it as proof of insanity is difficult to make. You know, I guess there is an implication that for many years people were convicted of witchcraft. To then make the claim that belief in it is insane is a pretty tough case to make stick.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So the father's belief in witchcraft was not enough for the daughter to challenge his will on the grounds of insanity, which I, you know, what I found fascinating, and we'll get on to, to more of this in a minute, is... Just reading this stuff in the context of a court case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and you're right, we did cover it in Nikki's story, but it wasn't in a paranormal sense in that sense. It was just in the case of did this person commit the murder. Yes, yes. This is this is a judge having to sit there and, you know, cast an opinion on somebody's belief in witchcraft, which I find fascinating.
1: But I it also sounds like from the situation that you set up there that those people who are after the will are just being a little bit greedy and entitled as well, yeah. so I wonder whether he was like you know felt that he needed to sort of rule put put a firm line between you know their greed and the desires in that were stated in the will as well,
0: yeah, yeah. There was a great bit as well, which, (laughs) again, in the summary, it further appears that the testator believed in witchcraft, that his wife had been a witch, and that at her death, she had left her witch sticks to her children, (laughs) or some of them. Her witch sticks? What is a witch stick? I don't know. I mean, is
1: it it a broomstick, or...? I don't know. I started thinking about wands and stuff, but... Oh, do you know what, though? I think I might have found a witch stick once. Really? Yeah, that's interesting you should say that. It's it's only just come to mind years and years and years ago. um, When I was at school, in fact, uh, I was... um, After a party, I was with a young lady in in a car. It was about five in the morning, and we went for a little morning walk. You could use your imagination what we were were doing. (laughs) And we walked across this common, and... um, on the ground, I found uh, it was like a like a plastic clear rod, maybe a foot and a half long, and tied around it were peculiar sort of pieces of string with like teeth and stuff Ooh, on them. Weird. Well, yeah. So we picked it up and kind of went, well, this is weird, this is weird. And then we rounded a corner, and this sounds like I'm making it absolutely true, there were maybe six or seven women wearing nothing, doing strange manoeuvres, wow. and we thought, it's time to go. We <laughs> yeah. we we put the stick down, got back in the car and went. Wow. But we, we pretty much were sure that we'd come across a witch's ritual. Wow, um,
0: that sounds pretty... Close, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, well, it was either that or it was like early morning Pilates or something, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, maybe that's a witch's stick. Hot yoga, wow, Hot yoga, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. five. In I wonder where
0: you'll go. You were going with this, with you in this car at kind of in well, the early it... hours of the morning, finding your witch's stick. I thought this is gonna get <laughs> graphic.
1: <laughs> no, but but from what I remember, we just um, drove to McDonald's, had a sandwich, and then um went to bed in our different respective
0: houses. <laughs> good times. Mm, good good times, yeah. That's nineteen ninety-two for you. There you go. Well, let's move on to another case. This one is uh Birchill versus Hermsmeyer. So this was first heard in nineteen nineteen and then went to appeal and was uh, the appeal was heard in nineteen twenty one at the Court of Appeals of Texas. It's the case of a ghost who inspired a contract dispute and a fraud claim so mr hermsmeyer sued to recover ten thousand dollars he invested in mrs birchall's corporation
1: can i just say that mr hermsmeyer couldn't sound more
0: like a scooby-doo villain (laughs) if he tried yeah and it turns out it was mrs birchall right yes (laughs) (laughs) it's perfect right so uh She claimed, so Mrs. Birchall claimed that ghosts with whom she consulted via a medium told her that there was oil under her land in Texas. You know, it's Texas, not a bad shout. Yeah. When no oil was discovered, Mr. Hermsmeyer argued that Mrs. Birchall's claim was a fraudulent misrepresentation of facts. The court rejected his argument, saying that the, ex- the existence of ghosts is a matter of belief, not of fact. His claim was therefore insufficient to form the basis for relief for the plaintiff. So in my unlearned reading of this case, uh, Mrs. Birchall told Mr. Hermsmeyer that a ghost via a medium that she talked to had told her there was oil under her land, mm. and she convinced Mr. Hermsmeyer to invest 10,000... Uh, US dollars to explore the land and when no oil was found he wanted his cash back.
1: I see, yeah.
0: Uh, I have to say I'm going to quote from the testimony of Mr. Hermsmeyer at the trial and uh, as as I go through this, you may get some idea of why he wasn't successful in his claim. <laughs> Okay. So the words of Mr. Hermsmore at the trial, his attempt to recover his money. I have never been confined in an asylum. I do not claim to be crazy, not that I know of anyway. I do not claim that I was ever crazy. I do not think that I was ever crazy, not that I know of. I was not crazy at the time I was having these transactions with Mrs. Birchall, but it would have been a whole lot better for me if I'd been a little smarter. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's self-awareness in hindsight isn't it it really is i don't think now that i was crazy i don't think i had as much sense then as i have now as to whether it is my idea that there was anything the matter with my mind or simply that i have got more experience now that i had then i answer i have a whole lot more experience <clears throat> which is good to know if not a little wordy mm. I know that, I know that I wouldn't go through the same thing again for anything. I don't know whether I did or not know what I was doing while this was going on. I did testify about it, but I mean in the way of business. I think I knew what I was doing, but there is things that I would have made a little bit better yet if I had known it. I do not believe that a man who believes in spiritualism is crazy. I do not think that people who believe in spiritualism and believe that mediums can foretell some things is crazy. I do not think that now, but I know there is some dishonest ones, though. I am satisfied of that. I'm convinced of that. You can't tell which is honest and which is dishonest until you try them. And I guess you can't tell them then until you find them out. I did believe a good deal in these medium predictions, but not in all of them. Some of them I would not believe in and never went near them. The medium that I talked to and that Mrs. Birchall was talking about, I religiously believed in what they told me in this case and I parted with my money partly on that reason. I parted with it partly on the promise to pay me the money back on what she was willing to risk. So there's a whole bit here where he claims um, that... uh, the they'd had a verbal agreement that if they didn't find any oil, she'd give the money back. But that was obviously disputed in court. Um, the first experience I had with mediums was some 30 years ago. Then I didn't see any more mediums after that in that country. I've been a spiritualist for about 28 years. I've attended very few seances. By reading books and pamphlets on the subject, I knew about what they claimed. I knew that some mediums were frauds and that some claimed to see things and could not see them. And then I made a contract with Mrs. Birchall to pay me the money back so I would be sure she was so positive. These statements that Kaiser, so Kaiser was the medium who was working with Mrs. Birchall, "'Made with reference to the oil being under the ground. "'I believed the oil was there, but of course I was not positive. "'I believed in Kaiser as a medium. "'I thought he was as honest as could be. "'I honestly took him that way. "'I did not doubt his word at the time, "'but of course you do not know exactly. "'You are not positive.' but I relied on a whole lot quite a bit. I, read, I This bit, oh my God. I relied enough on it that I sold my farm at a sacrifice price and went there at my own expense to get it. Oh my God. I would not have gone into this venture if I'd not believed in the predictions of spiritualistic mediums. If i had not had an oral agreement with Mrs. Birchall that she would pay me the money back if she did not find the oil. That... Agreement and the mediums together influenced me to pay the money or put the money in. Yes, I say I believe in mediums, but you can't always believe. And for that reason, I wanted to be positive. Yes, I know I was liable to be mistaken, that the mediums were liable to be mistaken, but they were not bound to be mistaken all of the time. But I found they were liable to be mistaken. So slightly uh, confusing testimony
1: so he basically put in a load of money and then tried to say, well, if you don't find it, I want all my money back.
0: Which doesn't make that much sense. It doesn't make
1: that much sense mm. because if they had the money, they'd just go and do it anyway.
0: Yeah. But the thing I thought was interesting, though, is he's basically saying he believes in mediums but knows some are frauds. So agreed that if no oil was found, he'd get his money back. What I think is fascinating about the testimony is that even after being duped and selling his own his own farm to take this punt on the oil, his belief was still strong, even in court. You know what mm. I mean? You could hear by the way he's describing it, he didn't want to denounce, you know, spiritualism or mediums, which I, I just find is amazing once you've had that experience, right? Yeah. W- yeah. Whatever you think about the subject, if you've been... Jeeped like that and his son was the same so his son also testified that he was a spiritualist and had been for some 25 years that he assisted his father in all the dealings with mrs birchall that he knew uh, what was in the subscription contracts in 1916 when the contract was made and in his own words says i think i knew what was in this paper when i signed it and my father knew what was in it when he signed it No, I don't think either of us were crazy at the time. We both know what was in it, and we signed. Right, right. You can probably guess he didn't get his money back. No, of course. Well, I
1: I imagine they didn't have the money to pay him back anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, he basically is admitting to the court there that he was an idiot anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: He sold the farm. He sold the farm, which just... I mean, literally, that is the saying, is... Don't lose the farm. Yeah. I mean, oh, my God.
0: So, I'm going to be honest with you. At this point, I was trawling through lots of legal text, and I thought, this is going to take me months to find any more cases. And then, Eureka, I came across a brilliant paper. It was, it's by a Canadian lawyer called Michael Short. It's titled. And you can imagine why I just latched on this, latched onto this. A spirited look at the common law of ghosts. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to quote from some of the paper, and also uh, one, one or two of the cases have a little deeper look. But this is mainly uh, this is make mainly verbatim or or at least edited version of what Michael Short has written. So he writes. One of the remarkable features of the common law is its hyper specificity. Oh, I can't say that. Is its hyper specificity. That's the one. Any area of de- daily life that generates sufficient litigation soon acquires a distinct and freestanding body of common law. Oh, La- yeah. thus, thus, there is a common law of roads, a common law of water drainage. And even a common law of rabbits, which I want to know more about. I want to know what the common law of rabbits is. Yeah, I, I, I'm just thinking how a law can be applied to a rabbit. But I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm as intrigued about that as I am the ghost stories. They are known for being terrible
1: criminals. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, they get away with it because they look so cute. Don't That's they? right. Yeah. <laughs> they stick two ears up at the <laughs> law. So he goes on to say, this raises an obvious question. Is there a common law of ghosts? After extensive research, it appears that there is indeed a common law of ghosts. The common law of ghosts is embodied in a small but not insubstantial body of case law. To your author's surprise, most of it dates from the 20th century. Wow. Yeah, I was surprised at that as well. Because I I thought the focus of this was all going to be around that Houdini time. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And all the major common law jurisdictions are represented. The balance of this article explores how the common law has dealt with the existence, brackets, non-existence of ghosts, as well as the treatments of ghosts and hauntings in contract and tort. And um, tort is not that lovely dessert that you get in posh restaurants in this case. It's a legal tort. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way to go with that, there? (laughs) I do love tort, though. Uh, Yeah, okay, fair enough. The most fundamental question, of course, is whether ghosts exist at law. Surprisingly, the existence of the undead has been a live issue through legal history. At various times, the courts have given very different answers to this most important of questions. Those answers fall into three categories. Yes, no, and estoppel, which I believe is a legal term which means it's about contradicting yourself if you've said something one time and then say it's something else it's to do oh with that. I see which I, I think that three categories yes no and estoppel that could be a legal joke that has gone over my head <laughs> yeah I
1: can't quite work out what the joke might be but yeah, I've, yes, it probably is. It probably so that, is. so
0: that's, our, that's our second legal gag, <laughs> lawyer gag.
1: <laughs> I don't know which one was better. My one There's a whole one. load of people in law school absolutely wetting themselves. Yeah, right and wetting
0: themselves that we haven't got a yeah. <laughs> flipping clue what that means. <laughs> so let's get back to the article. Uh, this section examines the different categories. A number of common law judgments have proceeded on the assumption, implicit or explicit, that ghosts exist... For example, in McClary versus Stull, the Nebraska Supreme Court was asked to invalidate a will because the testatrix, which I guess is like the person who's made the will, hmm. had, uh, had allegedly drafted her will based on advice she received from her dead husband via, via a planchette which I think is an automatic writing board. It's a bit like a Ouija board, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the thing that you put your finger on on a Ouija board is
0: a planchette. Right, so uh, the testatrix children's claim that their father's ghost exerted undue influence over his wife to deny them a share under the will. So this is almost like the other way round. They're saying that the ghost of the father basically convinced the mother not to put them in their will, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, uh, he goes on to say rather than rejecting the possibility of a ghost exercising undue influence the nebraska supreme court approached the case as raising a question of fact did the deceased husband actually exercise undue influence over his wife the court opinioned so this is what the court said law it is said is of the earth earthly and that spirit wills are too celestial for cognizance by earthly tribunals a proposition readily conceded. And yet the courts have not assumed to deny to the spirits of the departed the privilege of holding communion with those of their friends who are still in the flesh. So as long as they do not interfere with vested rights or by the means of undue influence, seek to prejudice the interests of persons still within our jurisdiction. So my interpretation of that, I don't know what you think, is that they're basically saying... We don't know if ghosts exist or not, but that's not important. What is important is if they do exist, as long as they have acted in a lawful manner with the living, the court doesn't need to get involved. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I took from it. Yeah,
1: that's what, yeah, exactly.
0: The article then goes uh, on to talk about a famous case in family court in Australia, uh, which I believe is kind of like a divorce, this is like a divorce settlement case. So it's Descas versus Descas. So, way background, this was an application for a property order arising out of a marriage of 19 years. The wife in the case was arguing that their marital home was of less value because it was haunted by a poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic. Uh, though it seems she did not help her case, as she said that the haunting had only been in one room and had now stopped. It seemed the magistrate, but there was none of it, by the way, Ben. <laughs> so Michael Shaw, again, back to his article, says of the case. In the Australian case of Descas versus Descas, the presiding magistrate treated the question of whether the family home was haunted as a question of credibility rather than science. Right. The magistrate in Descas seemed ready to accept that the family home was indeed possessed by a poltergeist, if only the wife had been a better witness. <laughs> 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 it's very funny. <laughs> Cases denying the existence of ghosts are much harder to locate, being veritable phantoms. This is uh, this is great. I love the way this guy writes. Unto themselves. In fact, your author can only find one case in which the non existing uh, existence of ghosts form part of a ratio descendii. I th- don't think I've said that right, and I'm not sure what it means, but let's keep going. <laughs> in Manitoba, free pests, free naggy, a Winnipeg newspaper was sued for injurious falsehood after it published a report that Mrs. Nagy's property was haunted. In order to succeed in her claim for injurious falsehood, Mrs. Nagy had to prove that the free press report of the haunting was untrue. Right. Uh, I'll come on to this in a minute because this reminded me of something else. While the falseness of the report could have been demonstrated by showing that the Nagy's property in particular was not haunted... Both sides fought the case on the larger issue of whether ghosts exist at all. I mean, that's a brave place to take a case, isn't it? Especially one that's that, that seems to be kind of like a, a libel or slander case. Seems right? Like yeah. Weird. Um, the free press. The free press pled that Nagy had the burden of proving that ghosts did not exist, and that she had failed to discharge this burden. This argument met a chilly reception in the Matinoba Court of Appeal, which took judicial notice of the non-existence of ghosts. So this is from the Court of Appeal. It is, of course, impossible to prove such a matter by evidence in the ordinary way. The very nature of a ghost, as understood by superstitious people, is that a phantom appearing at rare intervals... Unless, therefore, we hold that the courts should take judicial cognizance of the fact that ghosts do not exist, the falsity of the statement could never be absolutely proved. Mm -hmm. I think that members of the court may, as an educated men should assume that there are no such things as ghosts and that, therefore, the statement is necessarily false. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On appeal, the Supreme Court of Canada's only comment on this issue was that, in the case at the bar, I think the evidence only admits of one conclusion, and that is that the article complained of was false. This statement is ambiguous since it's unclear whether the Supreme Court decided the case on the narrow grounds that Nagy's house was not haunted or the broader ground that ghosts do not exist. This is the bit where I wanted to come back. He says... As is so often the case, the Supreme Court appears to uh, equivocated when faced with the really tough issue. Thus, in Manitoba, and perhaps Canada as a whole, the non-existence of ghosts has been judicially recognised. So, what I think is really interesting about this, it reminded me of when uh, we uh, did the Canuck Chase uh, episode, and yeah. we we talked about how the press, and we've done it with UFOs as well, how the press treat these subjects. Yeah. And because it's really hard to uh, fight against the evidence or come up with a a definitive, no, that's not true, it gives journalists a real, you know, leg room to do whatever they want, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I think the... um johnny who we spoke to when during the Canic chase episode who was a newspaper um, editor at the time he was saying you can basically say what you like because you're never going to get a werewolf complaining to the (laughs) press complaints authority yeah and that goes with ghosts and again you would get if you said oh the ghost of princess diana is in my house you you can't slander you can't do anything because who's gonna you can't prove it either way so yeah yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, the, the article goes on, ultimately, though, the existence or non-existence of ghosts at common law may be irrelevant in many cases since the conduct of the litigant may uh, stop that person from denying the existence of ghosts. The rule of law is illustrated by the New York case, uh, this is amazing, this case, of Stam, Stambofsky versus Ackley. In that case, Mr. Stambovsky attempted to back out of his promise to purchase Mrs. Ackley's house, Mr. Stamboski justified his refusal to complete the transaction by his discovery that the house was widely reputed to be haunted. Right. So he went to buy the house, and that, that was a fact that was not disclosed to him by Mrs. Ackley, although she had previously reported that her house was haunted in local and national newspapers. Mrs. Ackley countered this argument by pleading that ghosts do not exist and thus a haunted house could not be a ground on which to grant... Uh, rescission of a contract. The Appellate Division of New York Supreme Court was unimpressed by this defence, replying that whether the source of the spectral apparitions seen by the defendant seller are parapsychic or psychological, having reported their presence in both the national publication, the Reader's Digest, and the local press in 1977 and 1982, the defendant is stop to denying their existence, and as a matter of law, the house is haunted. That's amazing. That is amazing. That, to, to have, though, I mean, as soon as I saw that, it's like, wow, that was said in a court of law. Yeah. The, yeah. Haunt is haunted. the house is haunted. Because so She said it was haunted previously which also made me think about other themes that we've covered on the podcast about you know believing in something kind of makes it true there's a legally there's a legal version of it right there the only thing
1: the thing about that is is like to say it's haunted means presumably the court either defines what haunted means or just uses that That common law that you were talking about there is like people, you know, I think, you know, that that man on the Clapham omnibus would know what you meant by haunted. Yeah,
0: well, it's interesting you make that point because uh, the the man who wrote, the the guy who wrote the article then goes on to talk about it. He says, uh, and this is the clarification point, which I think is really interesting. While the court hedged its bets over the factual existence of ghosts, allowing that their source could be either psychological or parapsychological... The legal doctrine of estoppel barred Mrs. Ackley, so estoppel is admitting it previously mm. from denying that her house was haunted. So I guess the concept there is they're not making a decision on the existence of ghosts. What they're saying is, for whatever reason, she believed in the past that the house was haunted. So there is a belief that the house was haunted, thus it becomes haunted mm-hmm. in this I contract.
1: See i see i see right right right
0: huh now so i've got i've got to say we'll, we'll put a link to the whole paper uh in uh on, on our social media either on facebook on twitter or both because it's real it's really well worth a read of the whole paper there's a lot more in there than i've just covered in this bit if you can get your head around the legalese it is a fascinating and well written read um Let's hope uh, Michael Short didn't employ a ghostwriter. Oh
1: where's the hi hat and symbol when oh. I need it? <laughs> I'd I'd love to talk to this guy
0: about the article because there is some really interesting stuff. So I think we're gonna reach out to him and see if we can get him on the podcast yeah, at a later date, don't yeah. you think?
1: Well he's a lawyer himself, right? Yeah, yeah. So this'll be this'll be interesting to talk about um like all of those questions which I just had, like because uh, I one of the things I'm dying to know is, I know that in, I don't know if it's all over the States, but certainly in parts of the States, you have to declare whether your house is haunted when you sell it as oh, really? well. Yeah. So um, when well, you see really internet memes where there's a picture of a for sale sign and it says this house is not haunted, it's not a joke. It really is. That is the, you, you, you have to declare if it is or it isn't. That's and, incredible. Yeah. And... I've always wondered, like, how do you prove it either way? Because you might, you know, it's always occurred to me, like you say, this house isn't haunted, even though you know it is. And then the person moves in and they go, well, wait, you said it wasn't haunted. And yet three o'clock every morning, someone pulls the bed covers off. Like, what legal recourse do you have? Because surely you just go, well, you brought that ghost with you. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know how that works. I really want to know how that works in law.
0: <laughs> you pulled the bed covers off exposing my witch's stick. <laughs> 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 um, so it seems to me that the last case seems to suggest, from a legal point of view at least, ghosts exist in some shape or form, even if yeah. they're just in people's imagination. I think if I had any illusions of getting a clearer picture of whether ghosts exist through looking at the law, it's once again thrown up more questions than answers, don't you think?
1: Yeah, Oh, totally. Because a lot of it seems to be based on um, accepting someone's belief rather than, you know, I was hoping that we'd get a judge who would go, right, I'm going to spend a night in this house and see what happens. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It'd be interesting if there are any... I wonder if anyone's done that. That would be really interesting to find out. Yeah. Because you're right. It's like they exist, they don't exist. They exist if you believe they exist or we're not sure seems to be the legal position on this. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very unlegal.
1: Well, I suppose in a way, going back to what that first judge said, people get um, not special dispensation, but if you have a particular religious belief, yeah, like... So, if you're a Mormon, I believe you're allowed a number of wives. Yeah. And in, you know, that would be illegal in certainly in this country. But presumably, if you're a Mormon, you just go, well, I'm a Mormon and these are my wives. And, you know, a court must go, well, if that's your belief, then that's your yeah, belief. Yeah. I,
0: I guess, I guess you have to prove that that is your belief and it's a genuine belief. But yeah. if it is, then yeah. So all of this on Ghost got me thinking I, I've got to close with something because it really set my mind racing on other things. So I thought, are there any laws out there relating to UFOs? Oh. And that is a hard research job to find anything of where that I could find. And I, I think there's more digging that needs to be done. But I did find one and it's brilliant. I came across this thing, and I've had it a few times. I was laughing out loud when I came across this. So UFOs and the law. I'm going to tell you about the French anti-UFO municipal law of 1954.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: (laughs) So it was in 1954 that the French anti-UFO municipal law... The anti flying saucer decree was voted in Chateau Neuf de Pape City <laughs> Council. <laughs> is that a clue? <laughs> <laughs> Municipal law is the law specific to particular cities or counties known legally as municipalities. Uh, and these governing bodies within those cities uh, can cover a wide range of issues, including everything from police powers, zoning, education policies, and Property tax. I, I, I kind of know this about France because mayors have a lot of power in France. Right? Yeah, yeah. So this law basically states that UFOs, brackets, unidentified flying objects, are not allowed to fly over or park in Chateau Neuf de Pape. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how did this law come about? Well, 60 years after the law was made, the mayor continues to defend this text. The French anti UFO municipal law of 1954. Uh, it happened on October 25th, 1954. The mayor of the French Chateau Neuf de Pape commune, Lucien Join, issued a police order prohibiting the overflight, landing, and takeoff of aircraft, so called flying saucers or flying cigars, on the communal territory. Uh, It was reported that Lucien Joanne, mayor of chateauneuf de pape following numerous UFO sightings, took a municipal decree the French anti-UFO law. It's brilliant. Offenders will be verbalised by the county guard, says the text, and their gear will be confiscated and returned to the pound. I mean, good luck with that. (laughs) This crazy decision was never questioned, so it is still officially enforced today. I will not touch it, says Claude Avril, the current mayor of chateau Neuf de pape So this is where it came from. In 2016, Lucien Joan's son, Elie Joan, recalled, My father had this idea of this municipal bylaw at a convention with other mayors of France. At the time, there was a lot of talk about aliens and UFOs. It was fashionable. Great stories were circulating. My father had the idea to use it to advertise the commune of Chateau Neuf de Pape. It was free and awesome publicity. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Oh, it I, I, I just sparked loads of things. It could explain Roswell. Yeah. They, they landed in Chateau Neuf de Pape, which is famous for its red wine. I, one of the aliens said to you you've had too many <laughs> so dark you've had two glasses because <laughs> i've always wondered like if they've got this amazing technology that can you know travel the cosmos how do you end up crashing in the desert in america mm. too many glasses of shadow nerf to pap drunk driver drunk UFOer crashes you know the little pets running around everywhere
1: yeah yeah the alien rats couple of pissed up bloody
0: aliens, basically. Well, it
1: actually, this sounds like you might have hit the nail right on the head.
0: I also love the fact that I wonder if that's got round the alien community. Shadow Nerf to Paps out. We're yeah. going gonna to have to go to the Chianti region now. Screw them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having my UFO confiscated.
1: It's a long... It's a big thing to enact just for the PR because you know you get like a week in the newspapers and then yeah and then
0: nothing well as far as I can tell this law is still in place in Chateau neuf de pape so if you if you are a UFO uh, or an alien listening to our podcast please avoid the region you could get a ticket or you could get your UFO or any of your gear confiscated and put in the local pound which wouldn't be good for you
1: and then you'd have to get Bob Lazar in to backwards engineer it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it'd be a bloody nightmare.
1: Oh, man. That is that is remarkable. I wonder if anybody else has sort of, like, gone as far as to embrace something like that, you know, like ban ghosts or something.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny because normally when you do these are these, these kind of topics go one of two ways, don't they? We go, we've done it, we've kind of covered it. I felt by reading this, Uh, researching this at least there's definitely more ground to look at the law and the paranormal because you know this i feel like we're just scratching the surface
1: totally well when we were talking about fairies i pointed out that you know that holds law in iceland you can't build on um, fairyland in in iceland and i think that is still true in ireland as well
0: right yeah, they're designated zones. I remember. They're
1: designated zones. Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: Well, there is a designated no UFO zone in France in the Château Neuf de Pap region, which I just think is fantastic.
1: Well, that if you were abducted by aliens constantly, then that's the place to go and live.
0: Well, if they've got if they've got stocks of Château Neuf de Pap mm. in their UFO, I'm, I'm 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 warming up to the idea. Yeah, why not? probe, head, probe or no probe a good glass of wine might make it feel a lot easier
1: yeah definitely yeah
0: well um well that's our journey around well our first journey let's say around the laws regarding the paranormal and uh, I'd, i'd love to get the author of that article on and i'd love to find out more yeah open the net wider than just ghosts and that one ufo law there must be more out there
1: there must be more out there, and also it'd be interesting to know ghosts that break the law, in yeah. in their uh, yeah.
0: sort of phantom state. We we could do the paranormal most wanted, couldn't we?
1: Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting.
0: Although all, all of the uh, photo fit pictures will probably look exactly the same. We're we're looking for the white covered sheet one we're looking for the victorian looking girl and we're looking for the monk
1: there's always a victorian there's always a victorian girl yeah. as we know yeah. well i was thinking of um, the uh, the hairy hands ghost which is fairly famous in i think it's in the devon region in the uk the hairy hands that grab steering wheels and um oh i remember this yeah. yeah take people off the road i mean that's definitely breaking the law
0: yeah definitely they should have they should have a special unit on that oh well actually it does remind me we need to do more of those freedom of information requests don't yeah. we? with finding out what other reports are out there okay this this it feels like a a rich vein for us to explore further
1: yes certainly it does excellent good well thank
0: you that was very
1: interesting and um yeah i'm gonna go and read that paper in full now and um like i'm gonna also ask my lawyer friends whether they've they've ever come across across, anything yeah Yeah, that's a good idea
0: excellent all right well we'll be back with another episode of the quantum mechanics next week have a good week have a nice one see you then see you then Bye. bye Quantum Mechanics